Welcome to the Energy Nerd Show, powered by Synapse Energy Economics and Climbable.org. Energy Nerd Show. Hey, Jeannie. Yes, Bruce. Who's our guest on the Energy Nerd Show? Today we have our old friend Sika Gajanku from NREL. Hi, Sika. Hi. Welcome back to the Energy Nerd Show. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about place-based energy projects. Well, that's great because you always have a lot of interesting things to say. And what do you mean when you say place-based energy projects? So NRL is a national lab and we work with so many different partners across the country and internationally. And a growing area of work for the lab is really working with community partners at that local level. So whether it's like a city, a county, or even very specific sites, we've done that work for decades, really as almost as long as NRL has been in existence, but that portfolio of work has really grown over time. So when I say place-based work, it's really that we're thinking of specific communities we're working with. So whether it's a city or a county in Massachusetts, whether it's Boston, it's Cambridge, or whether it's here in Denver, Colorado, how do we approach our work? How do we partner with them to deliver different kinds of technical work? How do you do that? How do you decide who to work with and what kind of projects and where to do? So it happens a few different ways. One of the key ways we do that work is through technical assistance programs. So the Department of Energy funds many different technical assistance programs, but at the high level, it's a way for communities to connect with experts. So communities that are thinking about clean energy, some have deep pockets. Richer communities probably have whole teams dedicated to doing this work. And even then, there's probably technical areas that they would love more support on. And then there are those that may not have as much funds or have in-house capacity to do the technical work they need to think through what clean energy projects might make sense for a community. So that's where technical assistance can be really powerful, where for example, NREL or another national lab can provide that technical expertise, usually paid for by the Department of Energy to specific communities. So there are many different programs happening here at NREL and other labs, but one that recently launched is the Clean Energy to Communities C2C program. So it's a new DOE-funded program that provides different kinds of technical assistance. So all the way from kind of shorter term, about three months working directly with a community, all the way to multi-year efforts working with a handful of communities. And so that C2C program is largely delivering help, technical assistance, so work and advice to a municipality or could it be a community group or someone else? And then does it come with a check? Like do people get money to their communities? as well? Good question. C2C is open to all kinds of organizations with the exception of for-profit. So both thinking about local government, utilities, universities, community colleges, nonprofits, community-based organizations, also organizations at the regional level, like regional planning organizations, really a broad range of partners we can work with there. And it is only technical assistance depending on the offering. So I'll talk through the three offerings under this program. So starting with Expert Match, which I manage that program. It's short-term, 40 to 60 hours of no-cost technical assistance. The goal is to work with up to 200 communities in the first year. So it's only technical assistance, no additional financial support. And then there's the cohorts offering, where it's more peer learning, where over about six months, communities essentially learn together around a specific technical topic. So those topics have included municipal procurement, thinking about EV adoption, thinking about how do you incorporate community input in your decision-making, 
And then the largest part of the program is called in-depth technical partnerships. And so that's the multi-year effort that will work with a handful of communities. And for that one, in addition to the technical assistance that is like working with labs on specific requests, we're actually going to send out $500,000 to each community to help them staff up or compensate different community partners that are part of the effort. So that is one of the three offerings that actually will be sending out money to help communities actually do this work. But none of them actually fund any projects. So we view technical assistance as an important part, but really part of the longer process of ultimately a community getting to a stage where it can apply for maybe funding from the DOE through the many, 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 many funding opportunities out there right now. How many of that last kind of project, how many of those do you expect there will be? So we are currently reviewing applications right now, and the announcement will be in a final community's be in a few months, but probably three to five communities we'll be working with. And for the, that first category that you mentioned, the expert match, do people just call you or email you? How does someone who uh, wants some assistance tap that program? We have a website. And so if you just put in C2C expert match, that should be the first thing that pops up and it's rolling applications. So just accepting applications throughout and it takes about five to 10 minutes to complete an application. So once a community applies within a few weeks, we're meeting with them to get a better sense of their request. And then we're trying to match them to experts within from NREL or we're also working with a few other national labs as well and a handful of other organizations to deliver the technical assistance. So if a community or a group or a nonprofit with some buildings, like someone you know, like someone I know in central Massachusetts <laughs> wanted to apply for that 40 to 60 hours of technical assistance, what kind of time requirement and knowledge, like starting level of knowledge would a staff person at the community group have to have to be able to um, benefit from those 40 to 60 hours? So Expert matches would be most fruitful when one, there is probably one or two people who can dedicate, we estimate up to 32 hours over three to four months on this effort. We meet with them in the beginning a few times, and then we'll probably have bi-weekly, monthly check-ins. The core thing they also really need is as much data that exists, sharing that with us. We operate under kind of high-level confidentiality. You know, we, we make sure we check in with the community in, in terms of what we share outside of our discussions. But really at the core is, we need somebody who is in some form of decision-making power or influence who can come to those meetings and share relevant data or information to help us to do the work well. Um, that's really all it requires. And so, again, with the organizations that this program is open to, thinking of, for example, some community-based organizations we've worked with, sometimes they might not have that data. But maybe we can find that data through different networks. But it's really coming to the table, meeting with us and us brainstorming. But we need somebody who's probably tried to do a bit of that data gathering. So we focus the 40 to 60 hours on actually doing technical work and not necessarily, you know, maybe chasing down data, for example. Is the data you're looking for largely utility bill information or is there sort of another level of that? So it depends on the request. So for example, if we're doing kind of a technoeconomic analysis of whether solar plus storage or geothermal might make sense for a handful of sites, then yeah, utility data, at least a year of that is always ideal. Sometimes we're able to 
try and pull data from other sources, but as much as we can get that data directly, if we're also looking at working on the building specific request, again, depending on what their request is, sometimes it's really communities are trying to get a sense of what energy efficiency measures should we be thinking about? What is electrification, decarbonization of these buildings look like for us? And maybe we don't need as much data. And our requests sometimes are not modeling heavy, but if we have to do any modeling work, then for buildings, we would need that energy usage data. And if we're looking beyond electricity, kind of looking to use of natural gas, then any data, again, there is always helpful. I'm curious, kind of what size of projects are a good fit for these programs that NREL offers? Is it, you know, like in kilowatts or dollars of investment or something? Can you, do you have a sense of the range or you know, what's a good size project? Yeah, so that depends on the offering. So this time I'll start in the other way. So with in-depth technical partnerships, we're really looking for the large projects that kind of have, first of all, like probably cross-sectoral in nature. So cutting across buildings, grid, maybe mobility. And those are probably, you know, tens of millions, you know, uh, hundreds of millions in, in terms of investment in the scale of transition that would be happening with those kinds of projects. But when we get to expert match, really, we're delivering technical assistance all the way from smaller, probably under megawatt, under 500 kilowatt, even much smaller than that, all the way to probably large commercial scale projects. And then when we're working with cities or counties, it could easily get into, you know, we're often doing techno-economic analysis for projects that are in that 10 to 50 megawatt range. So it depends. Expert match specifically is designed to be flexible to the requests that come our way. Can you tell us anything that you've learned in doing this work that has surprised you? I mean, I think it's always a nice surprise to be reminded of the people who are actually who actually are working on the ground to make this happen. You know, as a national lab, we do applied work. We work with a lot of different partners, but Expert Match has been a very very helpful way to ground that in like, these are the decision makers, these are the kinds of data they need to actually make decisions and get projects built and reduce emissions. Like they're the change makers that we need to be working more with. So that's been a nice surprise. And also the different mix of projects, like I said, sometimes it's really large projects and that's great, but there's also the much smaller ones, maybe thinking of projects in more rural communities or working with different community-based organizations. And it's been really great to see how decision-making happens in those contexts as well. And so C2C is one program, but there are so many different programs we have at NREL. We provide technical assistance focused on and work with tribal communities. We're now kind of helping with work more focused on rural and remote areas as well. We have a program or part of a program that focuses on community solar. So all these different avenues help us understand like what those on the ground that actually need to make decisions. One thing we're finding in our work is that some of the biggest barriers to clean energy are siting and permitting and interconnection. And, and I, I wonder, is that consistent with your perceptions? And do you offer assistance on those topics? So yes to both. NREL kind of continues to do a lot of research around how do we reduce soft costs. And then in terms of actually providing technical assistance, they are often part of many requests, but sometimes what ends up happening is it's helpful to even have an NREL in the room as the community or local government engages with a utility, right? Depending on what the technology is and depending on the part of the country, there's a need to 
debunk some of the myths and all the stakeholders appreciate an additional expert in the room. So we come across that a lot. And the first time I was on, I spoke about floating solar and that market is growing. It's an interesting growth in the US. A lot of the deployment is happening at that local level. And there, the siting and permitting, probably one of the biggest barriers to deployment right now. And it's always firsthand information we're hearing from people actually trying to build those projects and how, again, engaging with the National Lab, having us be part of those conversations help and go a long way in making those projects happen. Do we call those photovoltaics? There's so many different names, but yeah, that's one of the photovoltaics. I just like to say that. It seems like that market share is growing gradually since I think you were on the show early in the pandemic, so you know, a couple of years ago. And um, it seems like there are some projects getting built, right? No, yes. Uh, there have been several projects since uh, early 2020 and 2020. And now we're kind of going from a lot of projects where initially in that one megawatt range, now we're going to large commercial size. Now we have, you know, there was a project commissioned a few weeks ago that was about, was it nine megawatts in New Jersey? So it's getting up there slowly, but kind of going back again, Bruce, to your question around permitting and soft costs, the soft costs in general are kind of a barrier that can really slow down deployment just across the country for different kinds of technologies that are not in like big cities, especially where information is not readily available. And so if one person is not interested in that, that's kind of it. If one decision maker has concerns, then that's kind of it. So to the extent that NREL and Climable and Synapse, what all of us are doing, I think all of it is really helpful. That sounds great. What types of water bodies are these projects going on? For now in the U.S., it's mostly been water treatment reservoirs, but internationally in Asia, it's really been large reservoirs like hydro dams and there's some initial installs on natural water bodies as well. So thinking of lakes in some island nations, it's kind of also going kind of into that near shore, offshore territory, but those are still in like the piloting phase. So depends on the part of the world and even the part of the country, even within the U.S., yeah, so salt water and uh, waves can be tough on projects. Oh, 100%. And especially in regions that are prone to extreme weather events, specifically, you know, hurricanes, even thinking of like Florida, for example, those are questions we're getting kind of, okay, like Florida has a lot of these smaller water bodies, but there are questions around the durability of the systems. And there is some kind of ongoing research, maybe not necessarily focused in the U.S., but globally that are trying to answer those questions. Well, Florida in particular has a lot of rooftops that don't have solar panels on them yet. Yeah, uh, it's like Florida, would, it would be great. for it, it, We know it is great for solar. Well, this is really interesting, as always. It's always great to talk with you. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show, Sika. No, thank you. It's good to see you. Bye. Check out the show notes for visuals and links for more info on the topics discussed. You can find the Energy Nerd Show on social media pretty much everywhere at Energy Nerd Show or on our website at energynerdshow.com. Thanks for listening.